Today, we're going to look to Jesus to kind of elaborate on, well, what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven, okay, versus earthly, worldly things? Um, so we'll be talking about that a little bit. Um, part of that is not worrying, is trusting in God, is storing up the treasures in heaven. That is our reward, is peace from worry on from temporal things. Let's go ahead and read. If you want to read along, I'll be uh, reading out of Matthew 6, starting in verse um, 25. Jesus says, therefore, and if you do Bible study, if you ever see a therefore, you always have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Okay? So um, verse 25 uh, is a response to uh, what I just talked about, our, our message last week, and that is don't store up for your treasures on earth but in heaven, and you cannot serve two masters. And then Jesus goes on to say, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about all these other things. About your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. Do they sow or reap or stow away in barns? And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much worth much more than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how much God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, non-believers, run after all these things, and your heavenly Father already knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So again, don't worry, be happy. The carnal, it's, I don't know why the type messed up there. I must have saved... Uh, <laughs> a different version of my PowerPoint. So you're just going to have to listen to me. See if I can read this for you. Woo! Microprint. So don't worry. Be happy. The carnal Christian, all right? Have you heard that term? The carnal Christian? Kind of a summary term of what we've just been talking about. The Christian who is focused on carnal, fleshly, earthly things, okay? The carnal Christian is a believer in a superficial way, such as they have got the basics of, okay, there's a God that loves me, he forgave my sins, and I have the gift of eternal life. I'm a Christian. You can call them a baby Christian, you know, a new Christian, or if they've been a, a Christian many, 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 many years, a carnal Christian. Kind of sounds negative, doesn't it? Carnal, right? But 
in, uh, in a simple way, it is putting our trust in earthly things, right? The things of the earth, not the things of heaven. But they still live trusting worldly gods like the self or the five Ps that we talked about. In other words, they are not following God. And God, Jesus is saying, you know, you can't really serve two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other. So this message is for who in America? Every Christian in America, maybe? <laughs> how, many, how, many, how many Christians are in America? Hundreds of thousands, millions, maybe? Latching on to what they call cheap grace, you know, quick evangelism, and yet not necessarily following God. And in America, right, we have many, many temptations, many, many gods, uh, self magazine. Remember that? <laughs> you might as well call it me magazine. I'm surprised if there's not a me magazine. But uh, the test, <laughs> it's been stormy weather, huh? This is timely. So Jesus often pointed to, look at the birds of the air, the grass of the field. I'm going to point to, ooh, the storms. The test of the carnal Christian. And certainly you can, you know, don't get turned off by that term carnal. We can put ourselves there. You know, the question is, what false gods are we trusting in? What false gods are we trusting in? And in this passage, I believe it comes out as worry. <laughs> Okay, if we're worrying, we are trying to control, right? We're looking to me, myself, and I, the things around me that are going to give me security, and it comes out as worry. The test of the carnal Christian is often when a crisis comes. It could be a, a bomb dropping in your life, and things are going along well in your life, and kaboom, something happens, right? So you see a house standing and a house crashing there. Here's another illustration out of the old four spiritual laws that some of us grew up with, the little track of the self-directed life and the Christ-directed life with Jesus on the throne, ourselves, our will, our lives subjugated to God, following God, and God puts things in order in the illustration on the bottom. But in reality, you know, this is the ideal. This is the polemic black and white dichotomy. But we're obviously all on our way to holiness, right? And purification, sanctification. So when God saves us, he saves us from ourselves sitting on the throne. And the theory is, with God on the outside, we're trying to control everything. Uh, you know, we, we worry, <laughs> right? We worry. We're the CEO of our life. We're worrying about everything. I was talking to a church family member just recently, and they said they had a restaurant, and they tried it. Maybe it sounds glamorous, but after a few years, they're like, Okay, we tried this. This is enough of that. Because you're thinking about it constantly, right? You're worrying about everything. So it's often when God will bring on a crisis. Ooh, that doesn't sound very good, does it? 
we all, we all like to hear about when I become a Christian, God loves me, I inherit eternal life, I want God's joy, 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 deep down in my heart. Down in my heart, right? We just want good feelings. But God will often use a crisis in our lives to test our little false gods. And it's, you know, maybe not God doing it. Maybe it's probably, probably us. <laughs> you know, can God bring crisis to sanctify us? Yes, absolutely. There's examples in the Bible that we're not going to get in today. But it's more so us holding on to our false gods. And God is gently, sometimes, wrestling those away from us. So, you know, we could live our life, you know, clutching tightly our false gods, our sense of control, right? Or we can surrender to God and give those things up willingly. And hopefully the transition of those things, our growth process, isn't as stressful and tormenting, right? Sometimes, though, God has to slap us upside the head, give us a swift kick in the pants, to discipline us. What does it say? God disciplines those he loves. So crisis, we don't like to often welcome crisis, but who's on the throne, right? When God allows your false gods to be tested, our loving father allows crisis, and it's often called different things, sanctification, purification, holiness, getting us ready to be useful, or this word crisis, since most of you in this room are Asian people. This word for crisis in Chinese character, how do you say that? Somebody help me out. Weiji? Weiji? If you break it down, it's the combination of two words, danger and opportunity. Interesting, huh? Danger, we usually want to avoid stress and danger, but opportunity opportunity for growth, opportunity for learning, opportunity for becoming more godlike and useful to God. Crisis is when our foundations are tested. Jesus will later on say, uh, those who hear my words and put them, them into practice is like a person who builds their house on the rock. When the winds blow and the waters rise, the house will stand on the firm foundation. But the one who doesn't listen to my words and put them in the praxis, the house will be shaken and crash. So the question is, what crises have we been gone through lately? You know, most of us like to just avoid bad feelings, <laughs> right? Most of America likes to self-medicate. Why? Because we can. We have the resources to, right? We have the resources to fill our mouths uh, constantly with dopamine that stimulates our mouths, our eyes, everything a gazillion shows on Netflix and TV and all that stuff, if you're into that. We have the ability to do that with resources. But what crises have we gone through recently? Many people have gone through the loss of a, of a loved one. It is a crisis, right? Loss of a significant other due to death or divorce. 
or a breakup of a long-term relationship or, or our crisis of health, right? Family troubles, an accident, financial troubles, or maybe even a moral crisis that God is shaking us up over, very much like King David in Psalm 51, right? With his, uh, who, was, who was the uh, prophet that confronted him? Samuel, maybe? That confronted David about his sin and what, how he was just going through life. And then King David's uh, crisis and repentance and growth of, in, uh, recorded in Psalm 51. But it's very much a crisis God uh, allows us to uh, shake up our lives. It reveals where our gods are, where our treasure is. And just by the way, as we're sharing things, as a side note, as we share these things with each other, as we uh, process these things, you know, we often don't like to air our dirty laundry, right? And this is important. I think, believe this is an important aspect of belonging to church community, to process and grow and be honest about things instead of running and hiding and self-medicating. That's what the whole 12-step community is about. When people hit rock bottom and they're finally ready to surrender and grow, they need community. And so the same thing with church uh, life as well. Just coming um, in the pews, facing one way. Uh, we need to be in circles and facing each other and sharing things, not superficially, but in a real way. And it's so important to not interrupt what people are saying. We often join groups to, I don't know, reinforce our, I don't know, reinforce ourselves with, uh, oh, I'm glad I'm not that bad, or might be bad for you, but I don't struggle with that. Of course, we don't think that way, but you just listen in small group. What you hear is you hear advice giving, you hear interrupting, and so if you join a small group before church, or if you start small groups, or if you're part of them, I'd encourage you to implement two rules, strict confidentiality and not interrupting. Not interrupting, because when we interrupt, we make it all about us, and we don't allow people to process their lives. And plus, our struggles are different than your struggles. My struggles are, your struggles are different than mine. What you're, uh, what you're going through, it's so easy to listen, and we judge it as right or wrong, rational or irrational, and often we respond that way when we hear people processing their struggle. If someone says, man, I'm having a really hard time with temptation, with eating and snacking and, you know, my weight and things like that, you know, if you're a skinny Winnie and you're like, no, I don't have that problem. Well, it's not about you, is it? I don't. Honestly, I don't want that person in my small group, <laughs> okay? We are all on our way. If you're in a small group, if you're in a small group in this church, stop interrupting. 
<laughs> All right, let people share what they want to share. It's their life. It's their growth process. It's their crisis, not yours, not mine. Listen for emotion. Wow, it sounds like you're really having a hard time with that. Wow, it sounds like you've been struggling for a long time. Some people's drug of choice, you know, is different from ours. It might be overeating, it might be shopping, it might be eat, uh, whatever, right? Shopping, gambling. Any of you seen, ever seen The Donut King on Netflix? The Donut King? If you haven't seen it, it's pretty fascinating. It's about the Cambodian uh, refugee experience. And even it follows this kind of one man's journey, and he became a Donut King of an empire, and it's uh, pretty fascinating and a good history lesson, too, because it goes all the way back to his origin story in Cambodia and the Civil War and all that stuff. It's pretty fascinating. You guys seen it? Yeah? A few of you? It's really cool, huh? Uh, but his, it's a rags to riches story, and I'm not going to spoil it for you, but he had a problem with gambling. Again, you hear those stories, like if, uh, I don't know, let's say I let's say, uh, had a problem with gambling or something, all right? You know, we hear that. It's so easy to, you know, we often listen very selfishly, right? Like, oh, I don't have that problem, right? But not trusting in God can be unhealthy as well. Here's something that's interesting. It causes stress. God doesn't want us to stress. We're God's children, our sons and daughters, and God does not want us to stress. Listen to this passage. Not trusting in God can lead us to being unhealthy. This passage says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't depend on your own understanding. Remember the Lord... In all you do, and he will give you success. Listen to this. Do not depend on your own wisdom. Respect the Lord and refuse to do wrong. I'm sorry, that wasn't the right passage that I wanted to give you. Maybe it'll come up later in a different slide. But continuing on, worry is not only something that God wants us to free us from. It is all, the Bible says it's also a lack of faith. Okay? It's what the Bible calls sin. All right? Worrying is a symptom of sin. What is sin? It just comes down to missing the mark. Okay? So don't feel all guilty and bad from me saying that. But um, it's an interesting way of thinking about worry. Worry is a symptom that we're not letting go and letting God control our life. Right? We are sitting on the throne. Here's a passage for you. Everything, and this is in Romans, everything does not come from, that does not come from faith is sin. Romans 14, 23. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. So this contrast of trusting in God, allowing God on the throne. Matthew 6 says, comments about faith that we read earlier. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, Jesus says, you of little faith? It's a faith problem. Worrying about what we're going to eat and all the things of the earth. And interestingly, in verse 34, 
worry, God says, why worry? Trust in me. What's it going to do for you? How is it going to profit you? Will it add one day to your life? No. God wants us to trust God with today. He says in verse 34 of the sixth chapter of Matthew, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of itself. And if you think about it, worry is about not trusting God with tomorrow. Worry has nothing to do with your present stress, your present burdens, your present trials, your present things, right? Worry is about anticipating the future. Interesting. God says, don't worry about tomorrow. He wants you to trust God with today. So worry is about lack of faith. All right, wrapping this up. So God wants for us peace, trust, not to rely on the self, but things of God and it's trusting in God. So it brings us to praying to God, okay? So it's a question of what are the things that you pray for, all right? How do, you, how, how do we apply this lesson um, if we're worrying, all right? Our crisis is maybe we're just a stress cadet. Maybe we're just uh, one big bag of worry and anxiety, okay? There's another term for worry. It's just anxiety. I know lots of people, my friends and families, Christians, <laughs> longtime Christians, anxious, anxiety, forfeiting the promises of God, that is peace. And it comes down to not having enough faith. And at some point, I'll be doing a message on faith. Uh, it's kind of a very, very deep subject that I haven't grasped yet. Jesus would often say in his ministry, right, you are healed because of your faith. Wow, some deep stuff. But here, Jesus says, so don't worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, okay? So again, having their focus on earthly things. So God doesn't want us to be carnal Christians. God wants to take us from being carnal people to being our God, our Father. And earlier... I didn't cover it this time, but we could, because we already did a message on the Lord's Prayer. But God says in this context, this is how you should pray. My Father, right? Not a distant God, but my Abba Father who's in heaven. How holy is your name. May your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll be covering this more a little bit more next week of prayer. That's the topic for next week is how we pray, how to pray, all right? Applying this. Um, I heard a quote in some of my research that certainly God uh, died for our sins, right? We have the promise of heaven, but nowhere in the Bible does it necessarily uh, guarantee all the promises of God just laying in our lap, peace, right? But usually there's an action that we have to do, like faith. Here it is trusting God. It's an act of our heart, is we uh, have to do something to gain God's, uh, the promises and blessings of God. 
So I'm going to close with a song, two songs. One we'll hear, one I'll read. Um, one of my pastors used to sing the last song, and he expected us to do the same thing at any time we filled in. But sing this to yourself, <laughs> okay? I love this hymn. Sums it up so well. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So this is the goal, anyway, to have Christ, God, directing the things of our life, the things that we're worried and anxious about. I remember two things, two examples of things that I were worrying and anxious about is when I was in college age, needing to be the provider of my soon-to-be family. Um, one crisis was going away to college. If you have any kids or grandkids, uh, going away to college is a, is a great opportunity of growth. I just went away to Fresno State College just for a short time. Talk about culture shock. Could not find any good Chinese food in Fresno. Got to experience Chungking chow mein in Fresno. You know what that is. It's called this chow mein? <laughs> Fried noodles? <laughs> oh, I longed for white rice, fluffy rice. Couldn't find it. Had to search for it. But when I went away to college, uh, you know, I was pretty high on being, you know, a follower of God, but going away to college, man, talk about crisis. Man, I was just a fragile little baby uh, being dropped in rural, rural uh, central California. <laughs> Barely an Asian person around, so taken away from my familiarity, my church family, my friends, my support group, people that look like me, talk like me, whatnot. I was in central rural California. I felt the lack of connection so bad I hung around the foreign exchange students, <laughs> right? The only guys that looked like me. I'll tell you this story trying to make some connection with him, dropping on my Chinese words that I knew so we could have some type of connection, right? One of the dishes was some chicken, marinated chicken. I go, hey, that looks like see you guy, huh? Right? Guys, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And he looks at me like, what? Looks like, tastes like see you guy. And he goes, see you See you, guy? See you later? I'm like, no. I go, soy sauce chicken. And he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, oh. I go, how do you say it? He goes, xiao guy. 
I'm like, that's what I said. <laughs> like, I can't even connect with this guy. I'm all alone. But God, uh, there's a crisis. I felt really alone, lonely, alone. It made me rely on God more. It re- made me realize how codependent I was on my surroundings and not relying on God. Uh, through my college career, um, you know, I was dating a gal that was two years older than me that went to four-year college, was working through that time. She moved out uh, in her, I don't know, last couple years of college. Right after her four-year degree, she got a full-time job. She's working, living on her own. And I'm two years younger, and here I am, uh, spent three and a half years at junior college, and I couldn't get into the physical therapy program for a year. You had to apply the next year. Took me like two and a half years to get in. So we're talking six years of undergraduate work. I'm still living at home. (laughs) No job. And two years of therapy school to get a real job. That was, a real, that was one of the hardest times of my life because I could not control it. I couldn't control my future. I couldn't c- control my destiny. Again, don't listen to judge. That was my crisis, okay? <laughs> Certainly in the big scope of things over a 30-year career, you know, a couple years was not a big deal. But at the time, it was a huge crisis for me. A recent crisis I had, I've, I've uh, now worked a whole career looking toward retirement. And right before the pandemic, uh, the stock market crashed, right? I don't know if you guys looked at your retirement funds. They called it a black swan event. What's a black swan? Swans are usually white, and black swans are rare, right? So it's like a one in a blue moon What's a blue moon? A very rare event. Once in a, I'm going from metaphor to metaphor, analogy. Uh, uh, it was a black swan event, like one in a hundred year event that all these financial things would happen, that the whole world would shut down. Oh my gosh, right? Incredible what we went through. That... Uh, on the Nature Show, they had this special of what happened to the environment during the shutdown when people didn't go anywhere. The air cleared, the environment cleared up. You know, it's amazing. If you've seen that show, it's that Arterburn guy hosted it. A black swan event. But right before that happened, I had just done some analysis about my retirement because for 30 years it was just on automatic you just contribute to your retirement fund and hopefully you know invest it you'll have a good nest egg at the end of it I had just looked at it (laughs) thinking I think we might be able to retirement retire okay at 65 you know I had just looked at it but what a month or two later the whole thing (laughs) starts crashing 20% in a day, another 20% the next day. Certainly, it's wise to plan for your retirement, right? 
but uh, it stressed the heck out of me. Um, and over the pandemic, when people were learning to play pickleball, when people were doing whatever they were doing, I was stressing over my retirement, <laughs> seeing that evaporate, and how to keep it from, what did God say? Don't worry about your treasures on earth where they can disappear. And my security was disappearing before my eyes. I was stressing about it. Worry is a lack of faith, missing the mark. So uh, how you apply this passage, maybe it is a crisis, danger, opportunity. So what is your crisis right now? A physical disability, a new diagnosis? I know many friends and families and neighbors going through physical disabilities, paralysis, dis disabling pain. So wrapping up, I'll play a song for you and uh, share this passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. You know, our lives, Jesus said, is in just a, a short whisper of time. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So that's how to get the peace. What do we have to do? We have to pray. We have to present our requests to God. One of, uh, uh, past, one of the pastors that I did some research, he says, get a piece of paper and write down how many of our prayers are earthly prayers? And on the other side, how many of our prayers are eternal prayers? And he would propose that most of us only are concerned about temporal things. But present our, our request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds as we trust in God. I love that. I love that. So let's uh, meditate on the words of this song. All right, let's close in prayer. God, may hope arise in our hearts as we learn to wait upon you and give our burdens, our cares, and our worries about this life to you, God. Whatever crisis that we're going through, God, we, I pray for those that I have been hearing in the congregation of physical disability, of uh, the loss of uh, functions, health problems, and the loss of life, God. God, these crises that are going through our lives, God, certainly they hurt. There's danger, but there's also opportunity, God. I pray that you gently use these to bring us closer to you as we learn to trust in you, God. That'll keep our hearts and minds at rest as we trust in you, and you would grant us your peace. I pray these things as we, uh, and all God's people said, Amen. All right. Good to see you, everyone. I brought some Fuji apples in the back.